Um, we are going to fail today to get through Revelation chapter 13. Um, I've realized as I was putting the notes together this week that in Revelation 13 we're introduced to the Antichrist and to um, the uh, false prophet and there's no way that we're going to get through both of those. In fact, I doubt we'll get through these notes tonight. Um, there's a lot of information and a lot for us to go through. So let's get started and go ahead and read it. Revelation th- chapter 13 says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and vla- blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he will be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performed great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of the, or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. And so... We come back to, John starts out and says, and I saw. He always introduces new imagery with this expression. He does so in 4171, 79, 155, 181, and 19.1. And so here John is showing us a new image, a new vision. And I saw a beast. Now, much has been written about the Antichrist, and that's obviously who we're talking about here. Um, I remember when I was six or seven years old, um, there was a TV show that came on, a series, 
And mom would never have let me watch it, but I was actually staying at my grandmother's house in Decatur, and I watched Damien or whatever it was. I remember this, this show, and for years I had nightmares over this stupid TV show about the Antichrist. We have these images or ideas of what the Antichrist is going to be. Similar to the way that we have ideas, you know, Satan's got a red tail, and in this TV show, that the Antichrist was evil, and you know, whenever he walked into the room, they'd play low-key music. And one of the things I want you to see that the, that the enemy is trying to do is he is trying to imitate Christ. We will see a fake trinity. We will see a fake worship done here. We will see a fake resurrection. The enemy is trying to make the world say, this is Jesus. When we hear Antichrist, we think the opposite of Christ, which is what Antichrist means. But in reality, the world's going to look at him and say, it's Jesus. It's the Christ. It's the Messiah. It's what we've always wanted. And we don't have to wait for the Antichrist. In 1 John chapter 2, early in the history of the church, John wrote, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So what he's saying is, is even from the beginning, they're fake Christians. Just like this guy's going to be a fake Jesus, there have always been and always will be people that claim to be Christians and then don't act like Christians. They leave. And John is saying, they went out from us because they were never really of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. You all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, who is denies the Father and the Son. Let no one who denies the Son has the, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. In my life, I have had lots and lots and lots of people. I've had lots of college and seminary professors. I've had lots of people who claim to be Christian, claim to know the truth, and yet they undermine the Christology of Jesus which is that Jesus is the anointed one of God who is sent to redeem the world. Those people are the Antichrist. When people claim to be Christians, they claim to be a part of the church, and they deny that Jesus is God, according to John here. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah. They deny the relationship between the Father and Son, Today, we have Antichrist around us. Yesterday, Union Seminary, which used to be a stronghold of biblical belief, yesterday in their chapel service, they brought in a bunch of trees and they all prayed and confessed their sin to those trees. Because they said, God, this is the God's creation. Straight up polytheism. That is Antichrist. 
Harvard was started to train preachers. Yale was started because Harvard was starting to slip into heresy. Princeton was started because Yale started to slip into heresy. It's always been the case and always will be the case. And so people who deny the the sonship of Christ or deny the messiahship of Christ are antichrist and they're among us today. 2 John 1, 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. If they deny that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ come in the flesh, then they are an antichrist. So, as we look at the antichrist, as opposed to antichrist plural, we got a lot of information to unpack. And really, you cannot understand Revelation 12 without going to Daniel 7. And so, if you want to turn with me, I printed out the relevant verses that I'm going to read. Uh, let's read Daniel 7 so that we can, we can get the idea of this vision that Daniel saw. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with his feet. It was different from the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companion. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of the Days come. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from the other kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. For the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the laws and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. So in Daniel 7, we see the same vision. In the first part of Daniel 7, he sees three other beasts. He sees an eagle, he sees a leopard, uh, he sees, hold on, let me see, let me get myself straight here. He sees a leopard, he sees a bear, and he sees a lion. 
So <clears throat> if we look at our timeline that we've, we've seen, so you've got three and a half years when the seals are being opened, there's chaos reigning on earth. There is war, there's rumors of wars, there are earthquakes, there's all these tra- things that are going on. There are 10 kingdoms representing some sort of union that's going on on earth. And from those 10 kingdoms, from the, those alliances, those 10 nations, and, and again, we've talked about this, is this, you know, the Americas pact, the, the Europe pact, the, I, I don't know. And, and we would be wrong to sit around and try to, try to guess what they are because we can know from this that it will encompass everybody on earth. John says that from every tribe, every tongue, every language, using the same language that is used for the Great Commission, will follow after the beast. And so during these, ten, these three and a half years of, of chaos, the beast is going to step on the scene, and he's going to be what everybody expected. He's going to be what everybody wants. He's going to be able to, the one who can come up with solutions. He's going to be able to solve the problems. Everybody's going to think he is awesome. This is a politician like we've never seen. He speaks the truth, man. This is the guy that we've needed all along, and he's able to bring order out of chaos. Somehow, out of these ten alliances, three of them are going to be destroyed. I don't know if it's that there's going to be war in the Middle East and that alliance is going to be destroyed. Daniel says that those horns are pulled out by their roots, so it's going to be ugly. So in that, now you're going to have this one person who's going to be over all these alliances. Again, we can easily see this coming to fruition. Now, he rises out of the sea. Now, according to, there's a lot of debate over what exactly is being implied here, but I think if you look through the Old Testament, you see that rising from the sea is something that's commonly used to refer to other than Israel. It's, it's from the Gentile nations. It's something, someone that comes from, from out of an unexpected place. And so it rises from the sea. He has 10 horns. So we know that that's Ten kingdoms had seven heads because, as we saw in Daniel, three of the heads are the horns are ripped out, and so we have ten kingdoms being represented, but only seven prime ministers, ministers of some kind who are following with him. But there are ten kingdoms being represented, ten diadems on his horn. Now recognize that the beast is being described with the exact same language that John used to describe Satan, the dragon. Last week in Revelation 12, we read, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his, seven, on his head seven diadems. And we talked about last week how those seven heads represent the seven kingdoms that have troubled Israel. So you, we see here how the beast is able to mimic his father. He looks like him, he smells like him, he acts like him. He has blasphemous names on his head. Now, there is truth to the fact that he is going to literally speak against God. 
but following after him is representative of following after literally Satan. In 2 Thessalonians 2, we read this. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So he will directly blaspheme God and say, I am God. Now, there have been kings throughout human history who have done this. In Ankara, where, where we lived for a while, there was a uh, temple um, that's now it's called Haji Bairam. Um, and if you go to this, it's a Roman temple that was built to the Caesars. And so there was literal Caesar worship where Caesar said, I'm not just a human being, I'm a god. In Egypt, um, the Egyptian pharaohs claimed to be direct descendants of the sun god Ra. And so it's not uncommon for earthly kings to say, I am God. No, who can stand before me? If you've ever read the poem Ozymandias, um, I, I love the imagery there of uh, where this traveler is walking through the desert and he comes up on Uh, two great trunks of what used to be a great statue, and he reads there in multiple languages, um, Look ye mighty and weep at my works. And Ozymandias in the poem, he says, and all around is destruction and and sand. But when he wrote that plaque, it was all amazing. And And here this person was saying, I am, look at all of my works, I am God. Now, historically... God has made a mockery of that. We read where Herod, um, on the appointed day in Acts 12, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. The pharaohs, because of their inbreeding, were crippled. We can look at their bodies because of the way that they buried them. They had lots of deformities. So here they were declaring to be God, but they couldn't walk across the room. Here, though, this Antichrist is going to stand up and proclaim to be God. And God's going to let him for a season play his game. And so everything that great dictators throughout human history have desired, from Alexander the Great to Hitler, to rule this earth from end to end, and God has always kept those dictators in, in, at check. God will let the Antichrist rule. The beast that I saw, uh, John writes, and I want us to, to see it's like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Is exactly the vision that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7. Now, it's interesting that... Um, and I thought I put it in the notes, but apparently I didn't. Um, that John sees in the exact reverse order of Daniel. Daniel sees the, the lion first, and then the bear, and then the leopard. Um, and then John sees them backwards. And uh, I think that it was pretty interesting to me that of all the commentaries I read, they all said the same thing, that 
Daniel is looking forward, and so he lists them in chronological order as they would occur. John is looking back at history, and so he sees them in reverse order. And so we see that uh, the leopard is uh, typically used to describe the Greek uh, nation, uh, the Greek empire, uh, because it, was, it moved so quickly and swiftly, and Alexander the Great um, was able to move across at the time the known world and conquer everything. The Persian Empire is typically referred to as a bear because of the ferocity of the way that it conquested and the fact that that in the Persian, as they would take over a land, and you, if you've ever seen the movie 300, you've seen this acted out, where he would send folks to... Um, the Persian king would send people to warn them, you have a choice. You either surrender or we are going to kill every one of you and sell your wives and your children into slavery and we will burn this place to the ground and we will sow your field with salt. And then if they surrendered, he would turn them into part of the Persian Empire and if they fought even a little bit, he would do exactly what he said. He would destroy the city, he would tear it to the ground, he would sow the fields with salt, and he would sell everybody that was alive into slavery, and he would take all the stuff and take to his capital so that the next city he went to and he gave them that offer, they would say, hey, wait, wait, we surrender. And so he was known as a, uh, the Persian Empire was known for its ferocity and it, its power. And then the lion was the self-proclaimed symbol of the Babylonian Empire, because of its ferociousness, because of the way that it, it controlled the earth. And so Daniel saw these the kingdoms going forward, and Daniel describes, describes them, and John sees them going backwards. Now, we notice it says, to the dragon is given, that the dragon gives to the beast his power, his throne, his great authority. That should sound familiar to you, because it's said of Christ in Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so here Satan tries to create a fake Jesus. Just as the Father placed all power and authority and dominion on his son, the beast, I'm sorry, the dragon gives all of his power, all of his thrones, all of his great authority onto the beast. Just as we see the Trinity with God the Father and the God, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit coexisting three as one, uh, we see that, that, that we have the beast, we have the dragon, and we have the false prophet that we'll look at next week. And so you have this unholy trinity trying to be a fake God, trying to stand up and say, just as God is, I am. One of his head seemed to have a mortal wound. It's a mortal wound that was healed and the whole world marveled at this. And so here we have, um, he's raised from the dead. Now, uh, 
Daniel and John all talk about this, this mortal wound that is healed. Um, in 1 Thessalonians, as Paul is writing about the son of perdition, this same person, he says, uh, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And so much debate is had in the commentaries whether or not he's actually killed and God allows him to be raised from the dead by Satan's power or whether it's all a fake whether it's all a scam. I don't know. The, the text seems to me to indicate here that it, when it says it's a mortal wound, that he is actually killed. Um, it could be that, that he's almost killed and medical science is able to keep him from dying and it's blown out of proportion by the media. That would be shocking that the media might misrepresent anything, I know. Um, but there's any number of ways that this could play out. What we know is, is that in the eyes of the world, they will think he died and now he's alive. So not only is this guy the politician we've been looking for, the guy who can take care of everything, he rose from the dead. He is Christ. He is Jesus. And so he will be worshipped. The whole world marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight it? And so they're worshipping, literally, Satan through worshipping of the beast. Now, Paul tells us that when we worship false um, false, uh, gods, that we are actually worshiping demons. So is this implying that people are literally saying we worship Satan? Or are they just worshiping Satan by worshiping the beast? I think the, that it can be both and. I know um, when I was in Haiti with Susie, we shared the gospel with a family and they're in their home. And uh, the lady who was the matriarch of the home looked at us and said, well... You make a good argument, but I'm going to keep worshiping Satan because I think he's more powerful. And because in Haiti they, they have Satan worship, uh, just straight out, there's no, there's no <coughs> games that are played like we do here in the West. Um, they just straight up say we worship Satan. And so she said, I, I think that the Satan that I worship is more powerful than the God that you claim. And so I think it can be both of those things. So the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. In 2 Thessalonians 2.4, he's described as he who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And so he will claim authority over all the fake gods. He'll say, I'm more powerful than Krishna. I'm more powerful than Allah. I'm more powerful than uh, than." than the Baha'i, he will claim authority over all the fake gods and he will also claim that he is more powerful than Yahweh. He will say, I am the most high God and all the world's going to be duped by him. So it's, it, and I notice, notice how John words it here. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years, um, 12 plus 12 plus 12 is 36, plus 6 is 42. Um, that's, that's my math homework. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, 
again, mimicking his father, Satan. In Isaiah 14, 14, we have Satan quoted, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And so here the beast is playing just like his daddy, blaspheming God's name and God's dwelling and those who dwell in heaven. And again, John here says, it is allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And so for this time period, we read about how thousands upon thousands of people will turn to Christ because of the witness of the 144,000. God will allow him to turn and martyr thousands of those people. And for that time, he will have authority to do that. Now, he's allowed to take their lives, but we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with God. In Romans chapter 8, verse, verses 28 through 29 say, For I am convinced that nothing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that height nor depth nor things present nor things to come nor anything in all creation shall separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so though the beast is allowed to take their lives, the moment they die, they are safe in the arms of God. He will be blaspheming. He will be given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. And so those people, those people who have called on the name of the Lord to be saved, their souls are protected. And then John here says, If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he will be slain. This here is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And here John is telling these persecuted Christians that God is still in control. It's the theme that we've seen throughout the book of the Revelation. You know, we, it's so hard for us to read and not get forget that this is a book about worship and this is a book about faith and this is a book that's telling us that no matter what happens today and no matter what happens in the midst of this chaos, that God is still on the throne. And I think that in the light of what we've gone through in the last week, that is so important for us to hold on to. God did not wake up Friday morning and go, oh no. And from the perspective of heaven, when a saint goes home, that's a moment of joy. I've sometimes shared in funerals a story that um, I heard from Jerry, uh, who was at the time the president of the International Mission Board. Um, there was uh, a retired missionary, his wife, his son, and his um, son's wife, uh, they were, the missionary was retired from Central and South America and, and Mexico, and he had become an expert in digging wells. Um, and so when the war was finished in the, the first go-around uh, in Iraq, the IMB asked him if he would come out of retirement and go to Iraq and um, dig wells and help teach the other missionaries how to do that work and, and use that as an opportunity for evangelism because 
um, there, were, there was lots of issues with people getting potable fresh water. And so the four of them said absolutely, and they traveled to, to uh, Iraq, and um, they were driving down the road, and they hit an IED, and uh, the husband, uh, the, or the missionary and his wife, and the husband were instantly killed. And the young lady, uh, who was the, the uh, wife of the missionary's son, um, she lived. And so the, the U.S. military flew her to Germany, and she was in a coma. Uh, they, they worked on her there, and then they airlifted her from Germany to Houston, where her family lived, so that she, she could be cared for there, and the family wouldn't, wouldn't be a hardship for them to try to visit her. Um, and Jerry happened to be visiting her uh, when she came out of the coma. And he, she looked at him and said, did they make it? And Jerry, with tears in his eyes, told her, no, I'm sorry, they, they didn't. And a few days later, when he did the memorial service for those missionaries, he said that I, I realized that that same scene was played out in heaven in reverse. That those three saints of God were given their white robes and they stood before the Lamb and with joy and excitement, they're being able to celebrate. And they looked at their Savior and said, did she make it? And Jesus had to say, not yet. And so we look at things from this perspective. And John is calling us in this final thing to say, for this period of time, God has given authority over to the beast. And if you're going to get slain, you're going to get slain. If you're going to get taken away in captivity, you're going to get taken away in captivity. That doesn't mean that God's not still in control. And so we can hang on to with faith that God knows what he's doing. And as we've seen throughout the book of the Revelation, that until God's done with you, you are indestructible. And when God's done with you, you don't want to be here anyway. For to be absent from the body is to be in, in the presence of God. And so live the life that God's given you here in a wartime simplicity, but wide open serving your king. And realize he's the one in control of what's going on. And the Bible tells me that even a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground that God doesn't know. Don't worry about, you can't, those of you men in here who are balding, you can't do one thing to add a hair to your head, Jesus said. You can't do anything to add one inch to your stature and you can't do anything to add one hour to your life. And if God cares about a sparrow, how much more does he care about his children? Father God, I pray that you apply this word to our hearts. Lord, I pray that as I go in to talk to the kids about um, who so many are struggling with their own mortality, God, that you would give me the words to say that I would be compassionate. But Lord, it's the same message. That God's in control. Cancer did not win. The beast does not win. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen.